Hey, this is Alex. This week on Thursday, I, we had an hour conversation with Grok, a new and very exciting AI infants chip that exploded in popularity all over social media after showing a 5x, yes, 5x improvement in AI inference. 500 tokens per second for Llama 70B and Mixtral. We also talked about Google's new open weights Gemma model, Google's image generation issues, which led them to take down the abilities of this image generation to generate people. We covered new incredible fast SDXL Lightning, and we had breaking news for Stable Diffusion 3, which is a diffusion transformer that's coming out of Stability AI, and a bunch of other news. All that after this short intro into Weights and Biases. AI teams are all asking the same question. How can we better manage our model development workflow? The path to production is increasingly complex, and it can get chaotic keeping track of thousands of experiments and models. Messy spreadsheets and ad hoc notebooks aren't going to cut it. The best AI teams need a better solution and better tools. They need Weights and Biases, the AI developer platform, to unlock their productivity and achieve production ML at scale. Replace messy spreadsheets with an automated system of record for experiments. Communicate about model evaluation and collaboratively review results across the team. Clean up disorganized buckets of models with a unified registry. Automatically capture full model lineage, all the data and code used for training and testing. Seamlessly connect to compute to scale up training and run large scale sweeps efficiently to optimize models. Analyze the performance of large language models and monitor LLM usage and costs with live, customizable dashboards. Get your team on the same page to bridge the gaps from ideation to production. Use weights and biases to build, manage, and deploy better models faster. Wasn't this cool? This is Gary. She is a original PM on the weights and biases team. She's been there for a long time. And recently, we used her voice to narrate this new video that we have up on the website and i figured i'd put it in here because it works even without the video and i thought it was super cool and people ask me what does weights and biases do and hopefully this answers some of those questions now i want to switch gears and say basically that the format for this week is a little different we had the folks from grok and matt schumer at the beginning of the pod and then we kept talking about everything else, like Gemma and Gemini and everything else. So the first hour of this is going to be an interview with the Grok folks, uh, with, specifically with Mark Heaps. And the next hour afterwards is going to be the deep dive into topics. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, for example, you should be able to just view chapters and skip to a chapter that you'd prefer. There's the AI.
I want to just do a quick recap of Thursday I for February 22nd, uh, everything we've talked about for today. And uh, we started the space with a uh, with two guests, I guess, Matt Schumer and uh, Mark Heaps from Grok. And that's Grok with a Q at the end, not Grok with a K at the end, so not like XAI's Grok. Uh, Grok is exploding on our timelines recently with just incredible viral videos of them performing LLM inference on Llama 270B and Mixtral with around 400 or 500 tokens a second, which is five times as much as the previous uh, super fast API inference that we've seen for perplexity from together. And they're serving like Llama 270B with 500 tokens a second. And so we've had Mark from Grok talk to us for almost an hour about how this is even possible. So we had a very nice deep dive with Mark. And definitely, if you missed this, please check this out on, on the recorded portion as well. And then we also had Matt, who um, works at Hyperite, and he's been playing with these tools. Uh, and he told us about the demos that he was able to build and, and how much of a difference this speed of inference makes. We've talked about their custom chip called LPU, and we've talked about the, the fact that the company's been around for a while, and they did not expect this explosion in, in virality, but they're very happy that uh, they chose this uh, direction correctly. Very great interview, great conversation, and I invite you to listen to this as well. We covered that uh, Google image generation is now in hot waters and was reportedly paused because... It's in injecting prompt stuff that they're not that great, let's say. And many people notice that historical figures are being generated in different races uh, and different multicultural adjustments are happening to your prompts, which is not great. This blew up on Twitter and even outside of Twitter. I think folks started writing this in actual media Google, enough so that Google took down the image generation of people trying to figure out what to do with this. But we also gave props for Google to release Gemma. Gemma is an open weights, 2 billion and 7 billion parameter model. And we've talked about Gemma. We've, we've gave Google the props for releasing open weights for us. And we, we had folks here on stage telling how the base model is still yet to be decided how good this actually is. A very fine-tunable. We're waiting for the open source community to come together and fine-tune the open weights Gemma from Google. And then we also covered the Gemini 1.5 long context again. They released a 1 million context window support and many folks got access to this. And we saw for the past week people playing and doing all kinds of stuff, including Matt Schumer, who I just mentioned, he also got access. So he gets all the cool toys and he was able to put three Harry Potter books in one prompt and ask the model with perfect recall who said what. And this could have been part of whatever existing knowledge, but he, he was doing this more for a demo. We also saw demos of people putting an hour-long video in the prompt, which is around 600 or 500,000 tokens, which sounds ridiculous that it supports it. And the model was able to understand this whole video and tell you which scene happened when with almost near-perfect precision. And we've talked about how this changes the game for multiple things, and we, we're going to keep updating you about these long contexts. And we also brought this to Grok and said, hey, are you going to support long context with your in insanely fast speed of inference? We also covered that News Research Technium released a new service, DPO fine-tuned, which is better in every possible benchmark on top of their already, already strong flagship models, which is great. And I covered that I went to San Francisco to host an event with A16Z and the News Research and Mistral and Olama and a bunch of other folks. And it was a great event. And I shout out to A16Z folks for hosting this and inviting me there as well. And then last thing we covered is two 
AI art and diffusion stuff where ByteDance re- releases SDXL Lightning, which generates SDXL 1024 by 1024 super high quality images in just two or four steps. And they look incredible and super fast to generate as well. I've talked about the demo that I built with them. And I've talked about this example that uh, Foul AI has where you can go to fastsdxl.ai and just type. And as you type, the image generates on the fly with around 300 milliseconds of inference time, which feels real time and feels quite incredible. And following that, we had breaking news today from Stability announcing Stable Diffusion 3, which is a diffusion transformer, which we've covered before, a diffusion transformer-based image generation model from Stability. They announced a wait list that you can go and sign up for right now. And it looks like it's significantly better at following very complex prompts, like multiple objects and colors and everything in one prompt. This is everything we've talked about on Thursday I. All right, folks, you know the sound. Those of you who come back week after week, you know the sound. This is Thursday AI. My name is Alex Volkov. I'm an AI evangelist with Weights and Biases. And I'm joined here on stage by, from week to week, by experts, friends of the pod, and new folks who actually were in charge of the news that we're going to talk about today. And today is February 22nd. Only February 22nd, and already so much happened this year with AI. Last week was crazy. This week was less crazy than last week, but still, so much to talk about. And I'm delighted to have my co-host Nistan here. Hey, Nistan, what's up? Hey, everybody. How's I'm your Nistan. week? I'm just, it's been the usual, just up until 2 or 3 a.m. on random Twitter spaces finding... Because sometimes stuff gets pretty, it's pretty exciting. Yep, stuff gets pretty exciting for a week to week. I also want to say hi to uh, Matt Schumer joining us uh, for a brief period. Matt, you've been you've been all over my feed this week. How are you doing, buddy? It's uh, you've been here before, so folks may not remember. So please introduce yourself briefly, and then uh, uh, we'll chat. Hey, man! Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'm co-founder, CEO of Other Side AI. We are the creators of Hyperite, which is one of the largest. AI writing platforms, and we also have been exploring the agent space for a couple of years now, about a year publicly, creating AIs that can actually operate your computer. As I mentioned, unfortunately, I do only have 10 minutes. I will potentially be able to join back up after. So I'm really sorry about that. It's been a crazy day, but excited to chat in the time that I have. All right. Awesome. Thanks for joining. And then I think we'll just jump in into into the conversation. And I want to say hi to our guest a new guest. I don't. I haven't talked with Mark before. Mark is Mark. You feel free to and let us know some of your background and where you're joining from, and then we're going to talk about the stuff that we're here to talk about. Yeah, how's it going, guys? Thanks for uh, letting me join uh, the space today, and, and glad to see some uh, some familiar names from all the, the craziness this week. Yeah, I'm the chief evangelist and uh, head of design, brand, and creative over at Rock. Um, which is probably a little bit not a normative title title for folks that are so deep in the AI developer space. We actually do a lot of the technical side too, so glad to be here. Awesome. And so folks who are listening, that's Grok with a Q at the end, not X is Grok. And you guys have been around for a little longer than them. But just in case folks get confused, there's like a few confusion points here. And I think this is a good start for our conversation today. And I want to turn this to Matt, because Matt, you're the first person who I saw post about Grok I think this week, 
and some of your stuff got a bunch of attention. So give us like a brief overview, like what you saw that made you post, and then we're going to talk about this insane speed, and then maybe turn to Mark into how it actually is done. So what is what is Grok? Like how did you get to it, and how viral did you actually get? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a funny story. Uh, I actually found Grok say more than a month ago. And immediately I was blown away. I think my co-founder posted actually a text they sent to him. And I was like, you have to fucking try this thing right now. It's incredible. And he did. And he was blown away too. I actually went and posted about it back then, but it got no traction. I think I deleted it or something. <laughs> and I was just letting it marinate in my mind what was possible here. But I wasn't sure if this could scale. Obviously, this week proved that thing wrong. Clearly, it can. But I was still just thinking about it. And then I was on the train. My girlfriend and I were just sitting there on Sunday. And... She just fell asleep. So I was like, what am I going to do right now? And for some reason, I thought of Grok. And I was like, okay, let's just post about it again and see what happens. And for some reason, this time, by the time I got off the train, it was going crazy viral. I Sunday night was fun. I was up pretty much all night just managing the blowback from this. Finally fell asleep by the morning. I woke up to a timeline filled with tweets about Grok. And for good reason, right? This thing is incredible. And it's going to change how we think about how we work with LLMs, what they're capable of, the ability to do tons of reasoning, right? All of that is now going to change. A lot more is now possible. The one thing I wasn't sure about was, would this thing go down, right? With all this usage, would this thing go down? And it hasn't, right? There was a brief time where there was a little bit of delay, but more or less, it's pretty much stayed up the entire time, which is crazy through all of this. And they weren't prepared, which was... Incredibly impressive, and I think a testament to how good the hardware is. It's just exciting to see. I actually spoke with Jonathan, the CEO of Grok, yesterday, and he said that something like 300 uh, developer API requests were submitted prior to the tweet. Now they're getting like 3,000 a day or something, <laughs> which is insane. Using that as a proxy for how many people must be trying the actual API. And then combine that with the demos I built that are getting thousands of hits every day. Their servers are still clearly standing, which is yeah. So what, what so was impressive to you? I think we're dancing around the issue, but for folks who didn't see your viral tweets, what, what was the head explosion yeah. moment? You have Together AI, you have Hugging Face Inference, you have VLM, all this stuff, right? You're getting on, let's say, Mixtrol. If you're doing incredibly well, 100 tokens per second or something, right? Most people aren't reaching that. I mean, that number may be off by a little bit, but at a high level, you're getting around there with any pretty standard model today. Mm -hmm. If you're doing well. Now, Going above 200, unheard of. 500, ridiculous, ridiculous, right? And that's where Grok sits, right? They've essentially developed a chip that enables these language models to be far faster. And when you see 500 tokens per second versus, let's say, 50 or 100, it is not just a small difference, right? This is like a step change in what is possible with what you can build with them. And that's what turned my head, right? It's not just faster inference. It's a whole other paradigm that you can build on top of it. Right. When you have inference that's fast, you can then do five to ten x the reasoning in the same amount of time. How much better does the answer get with the same LLM when you do that? You could do interfaces that are created for you in real time. You don't have to wait. Right. For example, right now on the Hyperwrite platform, mm. it's probably one of the best sort of conversational platforms with web search built in. But you still have to wait for it to go and execute the web search, come back, write the response, think through what it needs to do. What happens if that's instant? That changes everything. That's what got me super interested. Here's what others think about it, though. Yeah, I want to chime in here. Thank you, Matt. I saw your tweet immediately. What? And also, a day before I saw your tweet, 
and we're, we're going to talk about long context. Maybe after you're gone, maybe you'll come back as well. But a day before I saw your tweet, I posted something where folks were complaining about kind of the long context with Gemini 1.5 Pro with the million that's saying, oh, it's going to take too long. It's going to cost too much, etc. And I posted something like, that's not gonna. That's not gonna be the truth forever. Like, like th- these things are coming down faster than people realize. And I think those things together, just one after one, to show me how fast yeah. we're moving, how incredible this is. Because, and we're gonna talk about long context here in a second as well. But immediately a day after, I saw a tweet and I was like, oh, there's an example. There's, this is exactly what we're talking about. Just I didn't expect it yeah. to take a day. So I want to turn the conversation to Mark uh, real quick. Mark, you worked in Grok. How, how long have you been there? Tell us about this custom chip you guys have. What, what's going on? How are you achieving this insanity? 500 tokens a second for Llama 70B, which is quite big. Yeah, yeah, happy to. And uh, Jonathan actually called me and told me that he spoke to Matt yesterday. And I said, I think we owe Matt a, a very nice steak dinner and maybe a little bit more <laughs> than that. I also didn't sleep at all that night because there were so many requests coming in. And, and Matt's right. Like, we weren't really ready for it. We were literally just discussing the day before. What are some other demos we can do? What are some things we can show people with the speed? And then all of a sudden, Matt did a post. And then a number of other people that follow him started doing posts. And Next thing I know, people are making their own video demos and it, it, it blew us all away. We're like, wow, this is amazing. I owe a big thanks to the community that have jumped on this. The, this is a magical moment. I think anybody that's worked in tech has seen this before. I've been working in tech for about 30 years. And there's this rubber band effect where one end pulls forward and then you have the whiplash from the other side. And, and software developers have been doing an amazing job in AI for the last couple of years trying to find more efficiencies, eke out better inference, trying to get anywhere they can that optimization. But classically what happens is you push that to a point where you start seeing a ceiling and then hardware comes along and says, oh, you're driving the car at max speed. Let me just give you a new engine. Let me give you something that that speeds that up. And we've seen people saying that they have an inference engine, but ultimately they're really just these brokers of other forms of cloud compute. And then again, eking more capability out of it through software. And Grok was completely different. I've been there now for about four years. And I remember when I originally met the CEO, Jonathan, I said, why does anybody need to do this? And he told us the story about him creating the TPU over at Google. And it was a a pretty interesting moment. Jeff Dean had told the team at Google, hey, we've got really good news. We figured out how to get AI working and get these certain services working like image and speech, et cetera. But... The problem is it's going to cost a fortune to expand our data centers to be able to handle this capacity. And then they realized they needed to invent a new chip to do that. We're seeing that repeat itself right now where there was this low latency ceiling for everybody in regards to incumbent or legacy solutions. And he knew from day one that everybody was out there training models for years. And he said, one day this is all going to turn around and everybody's going to want the world's fastest inference low latency. And he didn't know exactly where that was going to be a product fit, but he did know that was going to be the problem statement. So that's what they that's what they started with. And it's a radically different architecture, totally different methodology and approach. Um, it's been a really fun journey learning about that architecture. That's incredible. And like the the public demo that you have, that's very easy for folks to just go and, and test this out on their own. I think, it, to be honest, it's awesome that you have this. And I think it undersells the insanity of what what this is and i I think when i hear about what matt is building in the demos and i had to play with this yesterday i had to play with this myself to figure out what to do with this because i saw many people react and say hey 
What's the point of 500 tokens per second when the reading speed of humans is, I don't know, 50 tokens per second, whatever. And I'm looking at this yeah, tweet and yeah. I'm just like face palming. I was like, what? You don't, yeah. do, do you not get oh, it? Thank you. Do you not? What's going on? So I had to go and build something. I built, I'll tell the folks in the audience. So I used actually two technologies. We're going to talk about the second one today. I used two kind of super fast advancement that we had this week, which another one was Stable Diffusion SDXL Lightning from, I think, yeah. TikTok, I think, released this. And I decided to just combine both of them. And I have a video. I'm going to post it up on the show notes and on the demo right now, on the stage right now. But folks, don't go looking at this right now. Go look at this afterwards. And I basically figured, hey, if this is like as lightning fast as this is, I don't have to like, I don't like 400 tokens a second, 500 tokens a second, basically instant. I can yeah. use whatever Mixtrel or you have Llama 270B there. You have Mixtrel and hopefully we're going to talk about more models soon. And I can use this SDXL Lightning to just immediately deliver to me results. So I used Llama as my kind of prompt writer via Grok. And then I used SDXL mm -hmm. Lightning as my image generator. And I have a demo there that everything there appears in real time. And it's quite powerful. And to the person who said, hey, the reading speed of people is 50... <laughs> 50%. That person doesn't understand the impact of this that will have on agents. For example, Matt was talking about agents and agentic stuff. The impact of this is just being able to build LLMs into every possible nook and cranny of, of software. I just wanted to highlight that, that I had to play with this to understand, really. And Mark, yeah, maybe let great. me ask you, what kind of like inventive demos and stuff that you saw coming up from folks, specifically around the fact that some of this stuff would not be very helpful with slower inference speed? Did you see any like cool examples of your own, did you guys like well, in Slack, did you send yeah. examples between each other? Yeah, there was, there's been a lot of chatter at Grok, and I think Maps was the first one that kind of blew me away. He he built a demo, and then I think his second demo was this one that wrote a novel, and it wrote it in like under a minute or something. Matt, like you that. want to tell us about this and before before you drop off? Because while I got you here, I would love to hear. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, I had three demos. Uh, the first one, I kind of just wanted to push out as quickly as possible because I wanted to go to sleep. And I feel like yes. I wouldn't have slept if I didn't. So that was Answers Engine, very similar to Perplexity. The idea there was Perplexity's got this incredible embedding space system likely. And it's really fast. It allows you to answer questions really quickly. And so anybody going up against them, they can't exactly do that because without that engine, it's going to be way slower. But with the LLM that's as fast as Grok's hosting of it, you can essentially do it in the same exact time or even faster while waiting for a pre-built you know, search API to come back with results. And it worked. Uh, so basically, obviously, after time, it got a little slower because a ton of people were using it. But at the beginning, it was like a second to answer uh, for a very complex question. Uh, you could have it write a long thing based on something. So basically, a really good answers engine. That was the first one. The second one was writing a novel in a minute or something. Uh, that came from a repo that I open sourced, I want to say, like almost a year ago now. Um, and that was called uh, GPT Author. Um, originally, the idea was to use GPT-4 to write a novel for you. The quality is obviously okay. It was just an experiment to see where it went. But people really took to it, so I decided to rebuild it. With GPT Author originally, with GPT-4, it would take like 20 minutes to write, let's say, five chapters. The crazy thing is, with Grok, I added like three more layers of reasoning mm -hmm. for each chapter. And yet it still computed in under like a minute or two. So that was pretty crazy. And then the third demo I released, which kind of went more viral than the rest, uh, that was basically a code tool that refactors code and documents it. So basically, it's a very simple design. You paste in some code. Uh, we have one Mixtral uh, prompt essentially suggest improvements. 
based on those improvement suggestions and the original code, we have another mixture go and make those improvements. We display the diff. And then based on that, we have another mixture explain what happens and give the user an understanding of what happened. And then we have a fourth one go in and document it. And this all happens if I were building this for production with today's models and today's systems, I would probably go and try to make some of it async so that it's faster to the user. But with this, I built it sequentially because I didn't even have to go and do that. <laughs> it all still computed in a second. By the time I was done reading the, the code changes for, or the suggestion that it was going to do in the first place, it was already done refactoring the code, already done documenting the code, which is great. Uh, so that one did pretty well. Those are the, the three demos I made. Maybe I'll do some more in the coming days. Yeah. That's incredible, dude. And and I, I keep thinking about like more use cases for this. Yesterday, I used Cursor. Cursor is the editor, that, if you guys don't know, like AI native editor, uses, I think, GPT-4 behind the scenes, embeds a bunch of stuff. And I haven't been able to play with Cursor fully until yesterday's demo, and I played with this, and it has GPT-4. And I think they have a, like a specific faster access to GPT-4 if you pay, and we do pay. And I was playing with this, and I was getting support from my editor on my code, and it was slow. And I was like, I, I want it immediate. I want it instant. And I think that's what Grog yeah. kind of promises, Mark. So, so let's talk about how you guys actually do this. You said something about a custom chip. What's as much as you can go into the secrets and also keep in mind that this is like a high level uh, uh, space. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Twitter. What's going on? Like, how are you able to achieve this? We, we saw NVIDIA's earnings come out. They did like whatever insane numbers for the past year. Everybody's looking at A100s, H200s, whatever. What are you doing yeah. over there with new hardware? Yeah, the chip has actually been something we've been working on. Uh, the company was formed in 2016, and I think we we taped out that chip, the, the first generation design, maybe two years after that. And it, it is totally different. And, and it's funny, people actually keep getting the, the category of the processor wrong online. It's, it's a language processing unit, but people keep calling it a linear processing unit. And a lot of the engineers at Grok think that's fun because they're like, technically, it is. It <laughs> is a linear sequential processing unit, right? And it's some of the key differences at a high level, right? So it's not multi-core like a GPU, but it is single core. It was actually the world's first single core petaop processor, which four or five years ago, that was a big deal. And it's still 14 nanometer silicon, which is a 10 year old version of silicon dye, whereas we're being compared to people that have silicon that's four and five nanometer. And we're, we're completely fabbed in the US. It's, it's readily available supply, so we don't have the challenges other folks have trying to get GPUs. But the part that's really cool, this is the thing that like I geek out on, right? Is when you think about getting deeper into the development and stack and you're trying to set up GPUs as a system, and I'm talking large data center scale systems, you've got all of these schedulers and things that you have to manage with the GPU and the data bouncing around in the way that it does being multi-core and using all these schedulers, it's really what slows it down. It's really what gives it a latency ceiling. And with the design of the Grok chip, and if anyone's seen a picture side by side, it's beautifully elegant. It's it's works in a way that when you connect all of these chips together, you could put thousands of them together actually, and it will see it as one brain. So let's say that you realize for your workload, you need 512 chips. You can tell that, hey, I need you to be one chip and load your models that way. Or if you wanted to run some things in parallel, like we've done with a, an application we have called Grok Jams that, that writes music in independent tracks, linear uh, and parallel to each other, so that they're perfectly synced, we can say, no, no, make those chips eight chips, because I want eight instruments. So I'm going to use eight instrument models to do that. You can literally do that with one line of code in PyTorch. 
and you can refactor that way. And so this is the advantage that they've had with the way that they approached the chip design. And that in itself was the probably the most radical thing that, that Jonathan and the team were the inception of. They decided instead of designing hardware and figuring out how to improve hardware in a traditional methodology, they said, no, we're going to start with the software. We're going to actually design our compiler first, and then we're going to design the silicon architecture to map to that so that it's completely synchronous, so that it's completely deterministic. We're going to build the compiler first, and we're going to make it so that no CUDA libraries ever need to be used and that you don't need to use any kernels. We're just going to, we're just going to bake it all right in. And so this is where we've seen a lot of that efficiency gain and where we get all that extra power for low latency. And that's really been the fun thing. For anyone that's, that isn't familiar with us, our early demos weren't AI related. In fact, during COVID, we worked with one of the national labs and they had a model that they were using to test drug compounds against uh, proteins and seeing what drug would stick to uh, protein. And this was in an effort to try to find a vaccine, et cetera, during COVID. And their model at that time, from what the team told us there, was it would take three and a half uh, days for them to get a result. Every time they put a new drug in, see if it sticks to the protein. Okay, did it work? If not, move to the next limb in the queue and let's keep going. And that was this effort of trying to figure out what would work. It took us maybe six months back then because we weren't as mature with the compiler. It took us about six months to get them actually having their simulation running on Grok. When they finally did it, they could do that same simulation in 17 minutes. From, so imagine the rate of acceleration wow. to try to find a drug that could actually change the world at that time in crisis. They could do that on Grok in 17 minutes. So the orders of magnitude that we've been able to help people is, has just blown us away. We've done some things in cybersecurity with one of our customers in the US Army. But now what we really realize is it's going to change the world for anybody that can take advantage of linear processing. And language is the ultimate linear application, right? You don't want to generate the, the 100th word until you've generated the 99th word. Mm. And Matt's example is amazing. Imagine that you can generate a story. You did it with generating a video after having the prompt being generated. My kids... I have a 12 year old son, he's a major gamer. And I showed him using Vappy, which is a, a voice uh, tool online for, for generating voice bots. I showed him how to make NPCs with that and putting in character personas with no code and it's running on rock. And the low latency, he was having a really natural conversation. And he told me, he goes, dad, I can't ever talk to Alexa or Siri or any of these mm -hmm. again. He goes, it's so bad compared to this. So it's just a really exciting time. And, and the secret sauce of it is the chip. That's incredible. And I think you touched upon several things I want to dive deeper, but the one specific thing is necessarily the voice conversations, the embodiment oh, yeah. of these AIs that it's still uncanny when you have to wait 800 milliseconds for a response. And I've seen yeah. like a YC demo of a company and somebody said, oh, this is like the best thing ever. And it was like 100 milliseconds to an answer. And I'm looking yeah. at these 500 per second tokens. I'm thinking, this is like a near instant answer from a person and probably a super very smart person, probably faster than a person would actually answer. And it, it triggered something in my mind where we're about to slow these down on the UI level because <laughs> the back end is, is going to be faster than people actually can talk to these things. Nistan, I see you're unmuting. Do you want to follow up? Because I bet you have a bunch of questions as well. And we should probably talk about open source and models and different things. Yeah, so the one amazing thing here 
that we don't know the number of, so if the engineers could find out. There's something called the prompt eval time, or there's different terms for it. But for example, on, on CPUs, that tends to be pretty slow, almost as slow as the speed of generation. On GPUs, it tends to be 10 times higher or so. For example, if you get an NVIDIA 4090 to generate stuff at 100 tokens per second, or about 100 words per second for the audience, the speed at which it reads that and it adds it into memory is often in about a thousand or, or a few thousand. What I'm wondering here is that evaluation speed, that has to be completely nuts because that's not going to some kind of memory. That's just, it goes in the chip. It stays in the chip. It it doesn't spend extra cycles to go outside into memory. So the prompt evolve time here has to be completely insane. And that, that enables completely different applications, especially when it comes to code evaluations, because now it can, it can evaluate the code a hundred times against itself and, and so on. So that's the amazing part I'm wondering here, because you can dump in a book and it'll probably eat it in like less than half a second, which is pretty, it's pretty nice. So yeah, one thing I'm wondering is how does this change the, the prompt evaluation time and what kind of other demos or stuff or uh, actual uses, actual daily uses are you hoping to see? And can you tell us a bit more as to what your availability is in terms of chip production and, and server load? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the first one, I, I want to be a little transparent about where Grok was at in regards to the input. When we first started building out the system and optimizing it, we really focused on token generation and not input. Right. So that's where we thought everybody was focused. It's like Gen AI was blowing up everywhere. What can you make? What can you generate? And so we said, okay, the compiler team is working on things. Let's focus on optimization of the system, the LPU inference engine at generation. And so we got this wildly fast speed, right? And I remember some people saying, oh, you'll never hit hundred tokens per second. We hit it. We did a press release. The team literally came back to us two weeks later and said, hey guys, we just hit 200. And I was like, what? And then all of a sudden we hit 300 and we're like, wow, we're generating really fast. And then we started meeting with some of these benchmark groups like artificial analysis and others. And they were saying, no, 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 like industry standard benchmarking ratios right now is three to one input to output. And we went, oh, we need to start optimizing for input. And so we've started working on that. And, and even that right now isn't at the exact same speed optimization of our output. And the teams are working on that at this time, but it's more than capable and it's on the roadmap. It's just a different focus for the group. So we're probably going to see over the next few months about another 10x on the input speed which is going to be wild, right? Because now when you talk about conversation, a lot of the time humans blabber on, but you tell an agent to respond in a terse and succinct way. Now you completely flip and invert the ratio of what you're going to be able to have. So that's really exciting. And from a use case standpoint, I actually had a a really interesting use case that, that happened to me personally when I was on a vacation with my family late last year. We were actually traveling and we were in Puerto Rico and my son got stung by a lionfish and it was really bad. We were like a hundred yards offshore. We're like 60 feet deep water and I'm trying to help him get to shore and he's like screaming and I get on shore. And the first thought in my head was of course, call 911. And I went, oh my God, if I call 911, I'm going to get an operator. We're in this place that nobody can drive to. They'd have to helicopter us out. I was totally freaked out. 
And I ended up just going into the bot and saying, what do I do if someone gets stung with a lionfish? And in less than a second, I had a 10-step guide of what I should do. Things right. I, didn't, I didn't know, right? Oh, keep his foot in the water. Don't rinse it with fresh water. That happened instantly. Now imagine the world, that, that goes from having an emergency Band-Aid or burn kit in your house to having an emergency bot in your house who can help you in those situations. And so the, the speed at which it can read the input message and then give you advice back in the output is a complete game changer. And I, I think Alex nailed it. Like we've seen all these comments where people say, why do you need to generate this fast? They think of it as like a chatbot only or like a reading only situation. But the reality is, and what we've known for a long time is there's going to be an ubiquity of digital assistance. And I don't mean like an, an individual bot per se, but just AI being everywhere to help you. And so that's going to require a massive amount of speed for you to be able to slice that up across all of these services. Like we hear people building with their demos, like Alex said earlier. So that's our goal to serve that. And Nissan, you asked about what's the goal right now, again, just being candid with everybody, we didn't expect this thing to go viral. This was not a marketing strategy. This wasn't going out and, and paying a bunch of influencers. It just happened. And so the system has been like really tested. And the amazing thing is it's held up, like Matt said. And so kudos to the engineering team for that. Where we're headed and our goal is by the end of the year, we want a token factory to be able to generate millions and millions of tokens per second as a capacity. And so that's the plan right now. We want to be in roughly 10 months. We want to be where OpenAI was at the end of last year. That's our goal right now. So we have those orders placed, that hardware is ordered, and we're building and increasing the capacity every week. That's awesome. And so let's talk about models. You guys are serving Llama 270B, and we hear rumors about next Llamas at some point soon. And I think Mark Zuckerberg even actually said that like they, they finished training Llama 3 or something. We don't have mm -hmm. insider knowledge here. We're just like speculating. And then also, obviously, Mistral is releasing incredible models. You, you guys have Mistral in there. There's speculation that mm -hmm. Mistral Next that LMCs has access to is this incredible model, the GPT-4 level. So you guys are relying on open source models. And those models are trained on other hardware. Do you guys also have mm -hmm. training built in or is this only for inference? And what are the plans for also training models? Because speeding up training would help the world at least as much as speeding up <laughs> inference. Yeah, so let's tap into a few of those. So first, we love the open source community. It was a big inspiration why Jonathan left Google, where he was wildly successful and said, we need to go start another company. And he wanted to make sure that the world and the developer community had access to AI technologies to accelerate development. He literally calls this the haves and the have nots. And at that time, he said, look, it looks like Google, Amazon, Microsoft, a couple of governments are going to swallow up all of the AI technology in the world. He's like, that's not going to be fair. He's like, we need to democratize AI and access for all. And so let's make a chip. And I remember him telling me this four years ago, he was, I'm going to create a company where people can literally have access to the most advanced AI in the world and do it with a credit card from their home. He goes, that's what I want to see happen. And so that's always been his vision and we're on that path right now. The models that now the explosion of the open source community, and I think Meta deserves a lot of credit here. ChatGPT was blowing up, OpenAI was doing their thing. And Meta, which is obviously a, a massive corporation and, and private and, and, and in it to make money, they said, no, we're going to make Llama available to everybody. And 
we didn't have a relationship with them. I think everybody knows Llama One got leaked and one of our engineers got a hold of it and said, hey, I'm going to see if I can fit this to the chip. It wasn't even on our roadmap. And then they got it running in less than like 48 hours. And then from there, we advanced on it. And so that was an amazing moment, lightning bolt moment where we said, hey, what else can we do with this? And at that time, I think we had maybe 200 models from Hugging Face compiled for our system. And today, I think we're well over 800. And we just keep pulling from the repos there and building them into the compiler. But we're watching very closely now of what are the models that people want. We had Vicuña up for a little while. We saw that on the LMSYS leaderboard. We've played with Mistral 7B. If anybody wants to see real speed, go watch my video on YouTube on the Grok channel about Mistral 7B. <laughs> it gets over a thousand. It gets over a thousand tokens. Are per you second. serious? Wow. Yeah. I, the max I've hit with it, I was just doing a conversational bot with it and I hit 1140 and it was insane. And now there's this announcement from Google about Gemma, which I think is like eight billion. And the team is already, oh my God, what could we do with Gemma at that size? Like the speed is going to be through the roof. And then Jonathan, our CEO is traveling right now. And he was actually at the Mistral headquarters in France uh, a few days ago. And they were talking to him about the next model and kind of what that looks like. And, and he very much wants that to be running on the LPU inference engine at Grok. So it's an exciting time to get into these open source models. And we're just happy that we can sit back and say, hey, how do we help you guys? Because ultimately, the people building the models, doing the training, we want to enable them with this speed. You have to push about whether we do training. We mm -hmm. don't. We don't offer training. We don't do training. We have had one customer actually do it. That was related to that U.S. Army cybersecurity project. They actually trained their quantum algorithms using Grok hardware. But it's not something we do, and it's not our business model. And Jonathan has always had this vision. He said, look, the world already has a bazillion training providers. And most people are quite comfortable with the pace of training. And this is going back to 2016, 2017. He said, let's recognize that if all these companies are training models, and yet there's no real clear winner in the inference solution, let's just focus our business efforts there. He does have a vision. It's not on our roadmap right now, but he does have a vision of what you could do with this sort of recyclical live training through inference, where it's actually being trained live in the moment and feeding back to itself, right? And this gets you into a multitude of, of layering techniques that we've been considering and testing at Grok. I could see us getting into training in the future, but only when it is advantaged by that real-time insight of training. Follow up here, uh, Nistan, just before, let me jump in uh, super quick. Uh, I want to follow up with something that you said that 7B Mistral is flying at over a thousand tokens a second. And that's obviously right. incredible, just like mind-blowing incredible. And in my head, w what I'm super excited by is not the smaller models, because I can run the smaller model on my Mac right. with 20 tokens, 30 yeah. seconds a second that's and get true. like a full whatever. I'm excited about the incredible intense long context requirements that we've seen. So we had, talk about open source, we we have often the folks from News Research here on stage, the authors of the on paper, that they've been able to take Llama's 4,000 context window and extend it to 128. And we never used it. Mm -hmm. We never were able to use Llama at 128K tokens because it was like extremely slow. And I'm thinking about, are you guys bringing us long context, like for real, like for open source models? Because we haven't yet been able to actually use them as much. Because the bigger the model is and the faster you can run, 
it will average out, we'll be able to get open source models. Have you guys played with long contacts yet? Have you seen the incredible stuff from Gemini 1.5 releasing 1 million tokens, for example, something that probably only Google can pull off with their TPU farms? How are you thinking about that as an advancement, as a competitive edge for something that only you could do? Yeah, the, the team is actually looking at that right now. And I think, again, early stages, the, our first foray into a larger length was actually a mixed role with a 32K sequence length. And so far, we haven't seen any use cases where people are actually taking advantage of that full length, but we know that it's coming. And so the moment that, that Gemini 1.5 got announced with the, the million token length, the team immediately got together and said, okay, how would we do this? And they started architecting what scale of system would we need for that? So that's part of the plan in parallel with what I was saying earlier, that we really want to get to a place where we're this massive token factory by the end of the year. And that's getting us into that more than 10 million to 20 million tokens per second from the system in that capacity. So we're, we're definitely looking at that. I think what's going to really dictate it for us, because we're, again, sitting back and saying, how do we help? And what we're watching is, what are the business use cases? So if someone says, hey, we want to use a model that has a million, million context sequence length, but you find out they're really, on average, only using 50K for their application. This is that advantage I was talking about earlier, where we can dial the system forward or backward using a single line of code. We can figure out what is that link that they need and then dial that in for that customer account. But we're actually doing a little bit of that right now with Mixtral. You guys mentioned we have the free version on our website that, that people can play with through Grok Chat. And then there's the API access. Right now, as everyone's playing with it and just treating it as a chat agent, we're recognizing that we've got this thing loaded for 32K Mixtral. And yet the average we see being generated in GrokChat is around 900. At that scale, we're like, hey, why don't we increase the capacity of the system, speed this thing up a little bit. Let's drop the sequence length for the free GrokChat service, but leave it at the longer sequence length for the API users. And that's really easy for us to do. That's flipping a switch in, in, in some ways. So we're just waiting for the open source model community to really tell us like, oh, this is the size that we could really take advantage of. Awesome. So the, you, you guys found the right place. The open source model community often ends up on Thursday and talk about their advancement. So I'd be more than happy yeah. to introduce you to the guys who are doing open source kind of papers on long context as well. They often join here and they would be very happy to like help and figure out what's, the, what's possible, especially because training those models is hard, but then running inference them is even harder. Nisten, Way uh, harder. Yeah. Nisten, go ahead. Yeah, so one thing I'm wondering about is, so first of all, it's extremely impressive that these models are running at full precision and yeah. not even starting to take advantage of some of the uh, oh, yeah. ha handmade stuff that people made to get them down to uh, to phone size and to still perform well. That takes, yeah, so that hasn't even been explored yet because that can reduce the size by four and have exponential improvement. So what I'm wondering is, how much, as you guys expand and as you go and as you adopt, whether you adopt our models or not, uh, how much work is it to take something like Llama or Mistral and then adapt it to more of your uh, JAX-like stack that you, you guys have? So yeah, th that's the part that I'm, uh, I'm wondering about. Like, how much work is for companies to adapt their own models or if they have something custom that they've made uh, to this? Because I, I see some incredibly interesting stuff and uh, I think for, sorry, I'm rambling on a little bit, but I think even for training, 
you can make models that fit under 220 megabytes sure. or model parts, and then you can train those individuals. So there is stuff to be explored there. I just think there hasn't been enough. Yeah, it's, it's still pretty new. So there hasn't been enough people taking a crack at it. Uh, but yeah, how much work is it to take an open source model or a custom something that, that people made and to adapt it to work on Grox hardware? That's, that's my question. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, thanks, Nissan. Yeah, so I think a really good paper everyone should check out if you're interested in this. Uh, if you go to grok.com slash docs, um, we've got a huge doc repo there. And one of the earlier articles that we produced from the compiler team is called Developer Velocity. And it's been a, it's been a focus from day one. We did some research when we were building out the product, building out the service. And we found out that for a lot of companies to get a model up and running, especially if it was their model, it would take them, if you were a smaller company, let's call you an SMB, sub 5,000 employees, they were typically spending six to nine months to get a model into production where they were using it. For the larger companies, Microsoft, those guys, they're doing it in 30 to 45 days. And so we set this goal saying, we don't want any customer ever to need more than a week to get their model up and running on Grok. And ideally we'd like it to be in 24 hours. We're actually gonna test the team on that when Llama 3 gets released. We're gonna see how fast from the day everybody has access to it to how fast can we get it up and running. And I'm, I'm hopeful we're gonna, we're gonna see a demo with it literally that day or the next day. It's not a lot, we're using standard frameworks, right? So we're PyTorch, Onyx, Tensor, everything is pretty standard. The thing that we spend a lot of time doing this in, and this is what slowed us down a little bit when Llama 2 came out, I did a video with Bill Ching, a member of our compiler team. He's a brilliant guy, super funny. He'll tell you in the video, I didn't spend time getting it to fit to Grok. I spent time removing all of the code and components that were built in for GPUs. Basically, he spent time scrubbing, not building. And that's what happens is because the community is so already uh, weighted towards building for GPUs, that's what takes us the most time. We've got to strip all that stuff out because it slows it down. Again, we don't have those schedulers. We don't have those components. That's the biggest thing for us in the way that, that we get things running. But even custom models that we've had from the national labs and the research groups, we had one that was for the Tokamak nuclear fusion reactor. It was a control system. And even that we got running in just, I think it was less than 10 days. And it was a completely custom build. And our compiler was no more mature at that time. Again, it's one of those things that our goal is to get it down to where it's same day applicable. We're a ways off from there, but right now we're trending less than a week for everybody. Uh, Mark, I want to follow up with with the use case. As as you you guys were talking about converting models, and we see models mm -hmm. getting released from all these fine tuners. We have a bunch of folks here who fine tune models after open source release, and many of them switch to releasing their models in the safe tensors format, the standard one, but also in the GGUF kind of quantized format that people can actually download that are smaller quantized versions and yeah. run them on their Macs. And I, I can absolutely see, if you guys support this, I can absolutely see a day where folks are releasing it also on Grok or Grok Chat or whatever, just for folks to be able to, to experiment with like longer context. Uh, as a fallback, to, uh, sorry, as a follow-up on the longer context conversation, you said we see in the chat. Yeah, the chat is not optimized for pasting like a bunch of stuff. I I would uh, I would not suggest, I would be cautious about judging by that because I personally... If I get access, or I guess I got access to the API, but when I get access to longer context, for example, I would absolutely think about, hey, what is possible now 
I can and somebody commented in the comments that coding is the main use case where long contacts really matters. Because yeah. what happens right now is everybody's like oh, focusing on rag. And we had this conversation rag versus long context, I think since a yeah. year ago, since the context lengths were four thousand tokens, then five thousand, then twelve, then whatever. And then Mosaic came out with sixty and we were very excited. And we had this conversation since then of what performs better. And I think one of the two main reasons that folks kind of keep holding on to rag as much is specifically cost and infra speed. And I don't know about cost, and mm -hmm. we probably should talk about cost, but infra speed, you guys are doing some terrible advancements. In my head, mm -hmm. as somebody who builds systems with this, as somebody who plays around with this, if I can shove my whole code base in a context, I will get a better answer than I'm going to have to embed the context, the, the code base, and then try to do retrieval in specific chunks, whatever. I'm even thinking about the cursor interface that I used yesterday. I, I had to provide it with, I had to mention, hey, these docs that you already vectorized, add them to, to the context, so GPT-4 will be able to help me solve my specific issue. <laughs> if my whole repo is getting sent in each prompt, I don't know if this is the best use case of your hardware, but it's definitely the, the, probably the fastest way to get the model to actually know exactly what I want. That's one example. Another example is all these models, all these agents are going towards personalization. I, I definitely think that this year is the year of personalization, especially with like longer contexts. And models Agreed. like Gemini 1.5, for example, they have a full retrieval pr precision, almost like 95 needle in a haystack recall ability. And that for use cases like something like a personal assistant that remembers everything about you, removes the possibility of, hey, I didn't chunk correctly, I didn't do rack correctly, I did vector similarity incorrectly, etc. For developers, just getting up and running and building tools like this, I think long context is still yet to be discovered because it's still expensive and still slow. And I think speed right. with long yeah. context is what's going to unlock the, the kind of the next iteration. So those are just like a, some feedback from the community staff. Would love to hear what you think. Yeah. So first, I love these ideas, and I want to invite everybody who's listening go join our Discord server because we want this feedback. We, the product team is super hungry for it. We want to know what you guys want. So definitely go do that. It's grok.link/discord. Please bring all these ideas to us. It's an interesting thing, Alex, because. We've heard this from a number of customers of, do you do RAG? Do you do some form of vector database? We get asked about LangChain. We get asked about all these things. And I think for us, there's this risk of where is the infrastructure, that part of the stack with RAG, where is it hosted? Where does that exist, right? So if you're operating in these two totally vast separated areas, you run the risk of losing your latency just because of the network and kind of what happens between them. So for a lot of folks, we hear, we want the longer sequence link because we want to embed a lot of this in the sysprom. And we know that Grok has such fast inference that if it's embedded there, it's all living with you and we're going to be able to maintain that speed. If you start calling out to a bunch of different RAG services, where am I going to lose? Now, I think that's thinking that's based on the experience they've had with GPUs, OpenAI, ChatGPT, et cetera. But for us, if we have such a margin of inference speed, we haven't seen anyone really lose on the overall experience performance because of the network topology. So Jonathan was doing a demo for somebody literally using Wi-Fi on a United Airlines flight where we had information in a rag and he was calling it using Wi-Fi on the plane. And he was like, it was a very normal speed experience. He was disappointed because it felt he was using ChatGPT. It's, so it's hard to go back after <laughs> after you experience immediacy. Waiting is definitely annoying. That's, I'm waiting for the hedonistic adaptation of ours to kick in where we, we expect immediacy. Yeah, sorry, please go ahead. Yeah. I have to chime in. No, 
Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're spot on. So yeah. So again, we don't want to dictate to anybody, you know, what is the best method? We want to listen to you guys and figure out how do we continue to serve in that way? And, and the other reality is there's going to be new techniques that are going to be invented in the next couple of months, probably that, that give you a whole another option around rapid fine tuning. And we're just watching and listening to you guys, but we recognize we need to enable both. So we're working with some partnerships for RAG right now to be able to connect into Grok. And there's gonna be some announcements actually tomorrow about some things happening at Grok that I think people will be excited about. Ooh, you wanna give us a little teaser, uh, a little laugh, or are folks gonna tune in for tomorrow? We gotta tune in for tomorrow. I, I, I think the, the only thing that I'm allowed to say is there's really gonna be a very strong representation of the developer community within Grok and the tools that we're going to start rolling out over the next couple of weeks are really going to feel familiar and hyper supportive of the work that y'all do. So it's going to be, it's going to be really fun. All right. So folks stay tuned. Definitely. We pinned the discord link to the top of the space, check it out and give folks comments because you guys have a bunch of headroom and we need to use this, but we need to tell you in which way we're going to use this. So you also have That's right. a roadmap, you have prioritization issues, like every company, you have to focus on something. So the better folks will give mm -hmm. you feedback, uh, the better. I want to maybe one last question, Mark, before I let you go and then continue with, with the regular thing, which you're more than welcome to stay and chime in as well on, because I did see your thread. I think you're also interested in, in the broad AI community is multimodality. For 2024, I think it's clear to everyone that multimodality is built in. All the major labs are now multimodal. I think multimodal AIs in open source are coming as well. We have folks here who, who've trained multimodal models. What are we to expect from Grok on that perspective? Is it, do you guys already have support for something like a, a vision plus, plus text? Are you looking at different things like video as well, which by definition takes more tokens and then slower by definition in, in every other place? How is the team thinking about this kind of next evolution of Gen AI? Yeah, good question. Obviously, multimodal is, is where everyone's interested. And, and I think ever since OpenAI gave ChatGPT the capability to generate images in the middle of the conversation and then add audio into the middle of the experience, everyone's been excited about this idea. And, and certainly that's where we've started. We, we have a plan, we call them the three pillars, right? And it's where does Grok add this speed value in language, in audio, and in visual? And what we're looking at right now is what are the models that we can bridge together so that we can provide that multimodal experience? The systems teams are already preparing the LPU inference engines they were expanding on. To be able to handle that, the compiler teams are actually have already begun building out some of the advancements we need to be able to support that. We know where it's going and, and we know that's what people are going to be asking for. So I've only shown one other thing on our YouTube channel, which was a model that Adobe gave us, which was a, a style GAN. And that was eight models that run in parallel. And I think it generates in like 0.186 of a second at 1024 pixel resolution. We can literally say, here's an image give me eight completely different styled results based on that, that diffusion model, that style GAN model. And that's where we've started playing with image generation. We do have some people that are looking at tiny diffusion and a few of these other like rapid generators that are small, but certainly that's something that we intend to support. It's the problem now with the speed of all these things happening is what do you prioritize? Mm -hmm. We are a company of less than 200 people. And we're trying to, we're trying to figure out every day, like, where do we commit our resources? So again, it sounds like I'm trying to be like a marketing guy and I'm not, 
go to the Discord and tell us what you guys want. What are your use cases? What are you predicting with your businesses? That would really help us to be a part of the to be a part of the conversation. But at the high level, yeah, we already have people working on it. Awesome. And I definitely invite your folks to also join the Thursday I community because we talk about these advancements as they happen. We've been talking about multimodal, multimodal since almost a year ago now. Yeah, folks, everybody in the audience, we're going to celebrate Thursday's birthday, I think, in a couple of weeks. <laughs> nice. And uh, nice. on March 14, cool. when GPT-4 came out, they had the infamous demo where Greg Wachman jotted down on a napkin a UI thing and uploaded it to the GPT-4 with Vision. And we've been waiting mm -hmm. for this to become a reality ever since. And I think it's now becoming a reality. We also chatted with the folks from Reka AI, which had the multimodal model out there a couple of weeks ago that I was blown away by. I was uploading videos of mine and it understood tonality in there, understood like what happened in the video. We obviously see video being a big part of Gemini 1.5. We're going to talk about this soon, where people just upload and that video just takes so much, con like 600,000 tokens in context. But then the model understands like every little frame and can pull individual scenes mm -hmm. away. And once we get to real-time video understanding, that's when the actual uh, world embodiment of these bots will, will happen when like it can actually see what can react in real time. So definitely exciting stuff from there. Uh, and uh, Mark, I just wanted to say uh, what an incredible week you guys had. And it's been great to just see how this explodes and play around with the possibilities. I'll remind folks in the audience, I've played and it's on the it's on the show notes in the uh, Jumbotron. I played with Grok yesterday and it was I was able to build something that I wasn't thinking about it's possible a few months ago even. It's so fast. And uh, you already mentioned the Discord. How do people get access? Is the wait list long? Tell us about people in the audience and in the questions. Uh, the one API access. The, the wait list is really long right now. And it, it blew up this week again. Thanks, Matt, for and others for promoting. Yeah, so right now they can go to grok.com. They'll see a link on the left that says API access. You fill out a brief form right now. We are trying to get through that list as quickly as possible. There's a timed trial, the usual sort of terms, but in a week, it wasn't even a week, it was literally within 37 hours, we had over 3000 API access key requests. And so that was more than we had expected. And so we're trying to get through that list right now and see what the tier levels, some people are telling us we need a billion token per day access. And we're saying, okay, this is this tier level. And other people are like, hey, we're part of Y Combinator's startup accelerator groups. We're just testing our bot ideas out. Can I get free access? So we're working through that list right now. The good thing is we are increasing capacity every week. And one of the announcements that we'll have tomorrow and rolling into next week, we'll be moving more towards self-serve versus us going through and like manually approving everybody. So that should accelerate approvals greatly. I just ask everybody, be patient. If you've applied, stick with us. We promise we're going to get to you. We really want you to have access to this this level of inference speed, but this whole virality moment came out of nowhere and we were trying to meet the needs now. So just stick with us. It's going to keep getting faster and faster. Incredible. So folks, definitely check out Grok Chat. If you haven't yet, it's quite something. It's quite incredible. Check out all the demos as well. And with that, I want to say, uh, Mark, thank you. This is the end of our conversation. It's been an hour, folks. Uh, on first AI, and I'm going to reset the space a little bit, and then we're going to talk about everything else that was new this week. And there was a bunch of stuff in the open source and in different places. Uh, but what you heard so far is a deep conversation with Mark. 
Mark Heaps from Grok, which came to many of us as, as new, but was around for a while. And then we also had some folks uh, in the audience as well listening to this from Grok as well. So that was great. Thank you, Mark. And then let's reset the space and start talking about what's new in AI this week. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate you. How's it going, everyone? You're on Thursday, February 22nd. My name is Alex Volkov. I'm an AI evangelist with weights and biases. And yet another incredible week in AI with a bunch of other stuff. And I want to move our conversation towards the kind of the explosive open weights news this week. And I would love, uh, so we have uh, some more folks on stage here. And LDJ, we've talked about this when it came out, but gives us open weights models. This is new to us folks. We've been waiting for Google for a long time. And finally, they come out and Google releases Gemma, a new open weights model, not open source. And they've been very clear, which I really applaud the team. We're going to talk about some stuff that Google did not exactly do correctly this week. But we're also going to we're going to highlight like we're going to give props where props are due. Google is clearly talking about open weights, open access model, not open source, because they didn't open source a bunch of stuff, definitely not data sets. It's called Gemma. It's, uh, they released two, two sizes, 2 billion and almost an 8 billion, so a 7 billion parameter model. It has, let's see what's interesting there, trained on 6 trillion tokens, 8,000 context window. Interestingly, vocab size is way bigger than Llama. And if you guys have been following under capacity from the, from this week, as, as you should, he just released a, a whole conversation about tokenizers. And he then analyzed the vocab size, the tokenizer kind of for, for Gemma and said, it's way bigger than Llama one. It's basically the same one, similar one, to, which is like way bigger. And yeah, this is incredible. This is like great news that Google is stepping into the open source. I think they see what Mark Zuckerberg saw where once you release something like this, the community provides. And I want to just highlight, I had a tweet go off like fairly viral because four hours after release, LDJ, we were spending the first hour in the space together that you opened. Four hours after release, we had Llama CPP support, Olama support, we had LM Studio support. Many people like Maxim LeBon, one of our friends of the pod, quantized upload this because they didn't quantize correctly. Then after half a day, three DAO from together added support for flash attention. I, I think there's a bunch of other stuff that, that added support as well. And we just had we just had folks from Grok talk talk about it. they've been looking at this as well. So I, it, it feels like Google understands the benefit of open weights access model. So I just want to this shout out Google. Let me actually I have a thing for this. Yeah. Good job. The big G provides, and this is great. And I'm, I was really surprised and happy to see this in the morning. And I wanted to hear from folks here on stage. What, what are your thoughts so far on Gemma in terms of performance compared to, let's say, Mistral or anything else like fine-tune that we had? Whoever wants to go next, but LDJ, you, you and I had the space. So feel free to comment what we learned from the space and since then. And then let's go around the table and then we're going to go forward with some news. Yeah, so I think what we learned on the release and also after a little bit of time of people using it is that pretty much it, it has around the same abilities as Mistral. Uh, you could say maybe a little bit better than Mistral in certain ways. Some people say it's at least a little bit worse than Mistral in certain other ways. But overall, there's definitely maybe certain use cases where you might prefer the Gemma model. It is interesting, though. I believe Gemma is actually 
from what I remember seeing, it's 8.5 billion parameters. Whereas I, I want to say Mistral is a total of 6.7. So there is actually somewhat of around 25% more parameters. And theoretically, it should be maybe a little bit better than, than Mistral than, than they say. But yeah, it, it just really shows to how impressive Mistral is really the fact that Google's making this model that's it's still not really significantly beating it. It's quite uh, impressive. But... I, I saw, I think Marco from A16Z, Marco Marcora, post comparisons from uh, Gemma, Mistral, Llama, and I think something else. And it's quite incredible that this model, like a company less than 30 people, six months ago, they reset, no, like less than six months, September, I think, or October, the, the 7B model, and it still performs well against the company with like billions or whatever, and they release it. It, it. It's quite stunning that they're not able to beat Mistral 7B by a significant amount. I, I wanted to like highlight how, first of all, impressive this is that they even release something. But also how impressive this is for Mistral that they come out so strong and their model is basically the one people compare to. Definitely agree to that. Yeah, I, I used it quite a bit. I, my opinion, I, I don't like us. it. It's, us, just, us. it's just not that reliable. So, yeah, it can code, but sometimes it, it's not a very obedient model. And the thing about Mistral and, and Mistral and stuff is that they are used like tools a lot and uh yeah but uh, again we have yet to see good fine tunes so we see we saw how far people took alignment did with open chat yeah speaking of open chat was like how far they've taken these yeah so so we'll we'll, we'll see I'll, I'll hold off a bit of judgment for for now yeah, speaking of open chat and speaking about fine-tuning and being able to fine-tune this alignment, what are your initial thoughts? I saw Alpi post something that new open chat is coming. What are, are you guys cooking a fine-tune? Like, what's going on? There, there's probably an open chat fine-tune of, uh, of Gemma that's going to come out. Um, I'm not clued in to, uh, to that uh, right now. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to really get my head above water for a couple of days because I've been just buried in, in several things. Um, if if there is, it's I mean it's probably you got, the model seems smart and it's got a lot of parameters, so it's hard to say that fine tuning won't make it very strong. I think with that giant tokenizer, it's it's going to be worth knowing that the model's going to be able to do a lot more during the training run because it's going to see more granular patterns and have a more expressive vocabulary to to exploit the way that training runs make a model perform well better. This is the best way I can put it. It also, it's not getting mentioned very much, and I think it's because this is past the event horizon of AI stuff for a lot of people. But if you open up the model's architecture, the implementation of it on the Google GitHub repo, they actually have a few different versions, and they're all for running the model in various contexts or with or without TPUs. But in all of them, even the one that's not made to be parallelized, the model actually does have a baked-in architecture designed for quantization and parallelization, and it looks like it can be quantized or it can be parallelized horizontally, vertically, and whatever the word is for the third dimension. It looks like it breaks pretty evenly into eight pieces, and if you can break it into eight pieces and quantize each piece and dequantize each piece. You can maybe parallelize it across asymmetrical compute, 
which is the big holdup for why we can't distribute models over just a bunch of random servers. Because usually if they're not the exact same GPU with the exact same throughput and interconnect, the models are unable to perform inference. But they may have to solve for that baked in there. And it, it might be that they intend on maybe having some service by which you can use the model locally with X amount of context and then just back end it onto their TPUs. Uh, I'm not sure, but it, it's interesting that it has a lot of custom tooling like baked into it designed for quantization and parallelizing. Yeah, I want to say custom that, uh, tooling and know. also, thanks, Alimant, and also the amount of stuff that our community supportive that they released is quite impressive. They released GGF quantizations, I think. They released support. They even released, folks, I don't know if the folks missed this, they released something called Gemma.cpp, which is a local CPU inference based in completely C++ with no dependencies, which is in addition to Llama CPP adding support for this, there is Gemma CPP and that's like their whole complete kind of comparison to Llama CPP. And that was pretty cool to, of them to release. And it looks like they've geared up to, to have this model to be accepted. It's on Hugging Face. Hugging Face and Google recently announced a partnership and now it's on Hugging Face as well. So you can actually go to like huggingface.com slash Google slash Gemini uh, slash Gemma. And it's pretty cool. I remember they... They mentioned Gemini Lite or Gemini Tiny or whatever for local inference. Very interesting. That's not what we got. We got like a new model called Gemma out of the gate. Yam, do you have any, what's your thoughts on this whole thing from Google? Did you have the chance to play with this? Give us a little yeah, bit. Yeah, actually, yeah, actually, uh, fine tuning is on the way. Already uh, got the GPUs there uh, warming up. Let's go. the data as we speak. Yeah, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, uh, before fine tuning, I'm going to do a little bit of a continuous pre-training. Or just to see if we can squeeze a little bit more out of the base model. Um, it's just uh, important to, to distinguish between the base model and the instruct tuning model. That's yeah, the slash IT the, thing they released, right? There is like a... When we talk about uh, uh, chat GPT-like models, uh, we talk about the instruct tune models. Um, and this, yeah, for sure, Mistral uh, is uh, it's just better at the moment. Um, but in terms of the base model, we can know this only after people start to play with it and, and try to tune it themselves. And then we can see how far we can push it because maybe it's just the actual fine tuning that Google did to their version of the model. And with the methods from the open source that are pretty much uh, very well trained in fine tuning models for instructional fine tuning, maybe we can. Maybe this model is really, will be really great because at the end of the day, the amount of compute that Google put into the model is, is insane. It's unparalleled. I'll be surprised if the model doesn't turn out to be really good, the base model, after fine-tuning. But yeah, there is no, there is absolutely no doubt that Mistral is hiding something. They do have a moat. All of their models that they fine-tune or instruction following are on different level, you can say. I mean, you can see this even with the cube, the one that shouldn't have had been leaked, mm -hmm. is also really good. Uh, but yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing that there is another player releasing a, a major player, Google, releasing a really good base model open source. It, it's great. It's great to have more players in this field, more corporates turning into this game, supporting open source. It's always great. Yeah. And the funny part is that they are struggling to compete in this section just because the beauty of open source is that it enables so much competition. 
especially at these lower sizes where people can iterate very quickly. And, and now this is extremely obvious in this case, but yeah, I also think that the base model, I only tried the instruction tuned ones and I've hosted it above. I even have a link if people want to try it, but there is a lot more to be squeezed out of that just because again, of uh, the quality of the data that went in the pre-training and Google might just not be that good at making chatbots. Uh, yeah, they'll they'll probably they'll get better. Is it? But it's is there, is it funny that we're in this. It's mergeable, right? Like it's Frankensteinable. Yeah, I think you, you can. Uh, with, that's a with Excel. I'll, I'll do it for Excel, fun, but yeah, you can merge it with Excel, but we don't have yeah. models to merge it with at the moment because you, like, you can merge it with so yeah, you can merge the instruction tune with non-instruction tune with, with itself yeah. and I see and train Actually, on top. I, I tried to extend it with the front end merge and it didn't behave nicely. Mistral, for example, behaved really well. You can stretch it three times, mm. just copy the, the layers three times, and it works really well. At the fourth time, it starts to, to disintegrate and just breaks. But some, you can do it for reaction. It works really well. This model didn't. So it was a little bit strange to see. But yeah, I'll, I'll know in a couple of hours when my training starts. I'll be smarter. To, I, if, if anyone experiments... Uh, I tried to play a little bit uh, with reinforcement learning, with DPO. Uh, I stopped the experiment and mid-run because someone pointed out that uh, the terms that forbid me to play with the, this type of experiment. But uh, I just want to say that I played with, uh, I tried to make the model less refusable. Mm -hmm. It was refusing nearly anything that you asked it, but so I just tried to make it more uh, more acceptable to to actually do what you ask. Nothing really fishy, but uh, yeah, the terms are a bit that, so I stopped the experiment. I just wanted to say that it really, really resisted. I trained and trained, and the model still resisted. They really went hard on the on the alignment part. Interesting. Interesting that we're going to talk about this next, I think, from Google, but interesting that even in their kind of open weights, open access models, uh, they're baking in the, the, the alignment like super strong. Uh, anything else, folks, on, on Gemma before we move on? G generally, kudos for Google for coming out this strong. We saw Gemini Ultra getting announced, and then we saw Gemini Ultra getting access, then Gemini Pro 1.5, which we covered a little bit, and we probably should talk about this a little bit more. And now we're getting like open weights models that are fine tunable. And I think even commercially licensed, right? Like you, you could use this in production, if I'm not mistaken. I guess I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Which is quite impressive, even from, it, it took Meta a while to give us a commercial license. Microsoft released Fi without commercial licensing and then after six months gave into the pressure and Google waited and now they're like, ta-da, here's this. So very impressive from Google and kudos to whoever there worked on this open source release. It's probably not very easy to do, not open source, but open weights. It's not very easy to do that stuff from within this big organization. So whoever listens to this, whoever worked on this, Thank you. Give us more. We would like to see bigger models, 35, etc. Junyan, you wanted to comment as well? I, I saw you step in here. Yeah, I'm definitely very excited about the Google Open Source the Gemma model. Because, yeah, so actually a great model. Yesterday, we were just trying to compete Quen uh, 1.5 with Gemma's 7B, but we found uh, Gemma's 7B actually better. But when we try about the base model, we think the base model uh, should be a 
with the model, with the uh, instruction tune model, it's a bit strange. Uh, actually, its behavior is quite strange. It's uh, always reusable and it's uh, too safe, and there are a lot of answers they, 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 they can't do. So uh, I'm very surprised at how they do their chat uh, model. But generally, the base model is um, generally good. But I'm very interested about their choices of their architecture because that its size is actually, it's not 8 billion, it's actually uh, 9 billion because they have input embedding and their output embedding layers, they are not uh, shareable parameters. So we found that the size is actually very long. And for 2B, it is actually similar. It is actually essentially 3 billion parameters if you count it correctly. So it's actually a very large model. And it is quite strange that for 2 billion model, it is using MH, uh, MQ multi-query attention, but for 7 billion model, it is actually using multi-head attention. I don't know why they choose it. And if you carefully look at the side of the given side, as well as the head dimension for the attention, you will find that for the attention layers, the head dimension is 256 and with 16 uh, heads, which means that the Actually, the hidden uh, dimension for the attention is actually 1496, but the uh, hidden dimension for the FFN is 3072. Uh, this is strange uh, for me to choose something like this. I don't know, we should follow it uh, for, for the following models. I don't know why Google do this. Uh, if they can tell us about it, uh, it could be much better. But some, something, it, it is very interesting. And we also have experiments to show that it is quite effective, which is the large intermediate side. You will find that the intermediate side in comparison with llama models or mistral models, it is actually larger. So you'll find we, we have some experiments and find that the larger intermediate side can improve the uh, performance. But there are still a lot of things we don't know why Google did this. And Relosh pretty sure Gemma is really a good model, much better than Mistral, because I have seen some evaluation from Anton, not pretty sure. It, it seems that Mistral is still the better one. I'm not pretty sure it is actually much better than Mistral. So let's wait for more tests. We'll wait for uh, Junyan, thank you. Folks who are not familiar with Junyan, he's on the technical team at Quen, and we've talked multiple times at this point. Thank you, Junyan, and it's great to have you here. And definitely we'll see more fine-tuning. Base model seems to be fine-tunable. Yam said he's already cooking something. Probably other labs are already shaking their, their palms in anticipation of how to use the open source stuff, the DPO stuff, if it works to actually make this model behave instruction fine-tuning better than Google did. And I'm sure that it's possible because we've seen a lot of advances in open source community. And now looks like Google is catching up to the open source community and not the other way around, which is incredible. And I want to just say, I, I will move on from this because folks have been here for an hour and a half and there's a bunch of other stuff to also talk about, specifically specifically because Google is a, in, in our good graces from one perspective, but also from another perspective, since they released Gemini and Gemini could generate images, they have shown us why potentially they've been hesitating to release anything at all because and i think OpenAI and and dali has this to some extent as well but if you've missed the storm and conversation this week definitely you'll hear about this because gemini both i think pro and ultra on the interface not the api models they are able to generate images i think it was with imogen or some other model from google dali and ChatGPT, right and folks quickly find out that those models do not like the words white 
<laughs> and, and literally, I think I had a tweet about this. I'll, I'll pin this and I'll add this to the show notes as well. I went and tested uh, something like, hey, generate a glamour shot of two Jewish couples, two Indian couples, two African couples, and that was fine. And then I've asked, generate a glamour shot of two white people. And then it said, no, I cannot use generation based on race or gender or something like this, even though it just did this for five times. And then mo many folks tested this with historical figures when they asked, hey, generate an image of whatever, for United States founding fathers or some Nazi or wh whatever it is. And they had a significant interjection into prompting where it created stuff that are not remotely historically accurate. And when I tested my stuff, it was a response to the historically accurate stuff. And it's still, it seems like there's a problem with how these models are replying to us. And a lot of folks at Google probably made it hard for these models to actually give me the image that I asked for. So it refuses so much, though. The conversation went so hard into, hey, Google, what did you give us? Why is this thing so refusing uh, that Google took down the ability to generate people? So right now, if you go, and I think it's like for the past 24 hours or so, if you go now and try to generate an image of an elephant, you'll get it. But if you try to generate an image of an elephant with, I don't know, two white folks holding its trunk or whatever, it will refuse. And like they, they completely nerfed the ability to generate people altogether, quote unquote, while they ser uh, solve for this, which is quite remarkable to think about how a big company like this that already been in hot water be before and obviously this is google everybody's gonna dunk and go on twitter and say bad things because punching up is easy but and also this gets you internet points if, if you're the first person that says hey google is is reverse racist but Google has been in this hot water before with some image identification. I think there was a famous incident like 10, a decade ago almost, if you guys remember, with an image model that was identifying black people and saying uh, gorillas or something. So Google has been burned on kind of the other side of this before, and now it looks like the pendulum swung way back to the other side, enough so that on the first week or so of the release, now they're taking back the ability to generate people completely. And quite incredible how much of an intervention into multiculturalism, let's say, they have in prompt layer. So it does look like the model can generate stuff. I saw one one hacky attempt. Somebody said, hey, generate a glamour shot of couple with fair skin, and then most of them are white. But if you actually say white couple, it, it, it's not able to, which is quite interesting. And I think it adds to the point where Yam said that even the Open, open weights model that they've released, they have some built-in kind of alignment strongly in the fine-tuning. So probably it's a feature of the, some of the data sets, but also some of the um, alignment stuff. It's really interesting to see that the internet kind of showed Google that the other side is also not great. Going all the way to the other side is also not great. And so Google, at least some of the teams in Google are uh, struggling right now to figure out what's the right balance there. Separate there is... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I really want to highlight this because it's gotten to the point where the open source models and even GPT 3.5 will do some tasks fine. And in this case, a task that I tested with is the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is the most translated document in human history and is part of every data set. And now you have Gemini and you have Copilot, which is GPT 4. The thing that is too unsafe to translate, to give you a translation of the Declaration of Human Rights, which is, this has just gotten 
completely ridiculous. You can use a you can use a model that's made anywhere else, any open source model, and it will tell you that. Whereas now we have the all the safety people and all the the people that they hired is gotten to the point that is completely backfired, and, and this is ridiculous. Backfired usefulness they be as well. To, yeah, yeah into unusefulness like some things in history happened and we would like to to be able to ask those things and yeah i definitely want to hear how this gets solved i will say there were some folks that are mentioning that hey open dali if he has the same exact thing from dali it may give you some similar answers so why is google getting attacked first of all they just released it second of all this is google after all like they, they they're like the big they're still the gorilla the big 600 pound gorilla i think microsoft called them in the room and thirdly, we have short memories. We play with the tools. <laughs> we play with the tools as we get them, and when we discover, we go viral. Back to the good side of Google. Also, as we had breaking news last Thursday, and we talked about Gemini releasing a million tokens. As as Thursday, I re started last last one, which was crazy. Google released uh, an update that said, "Hey, some developers can now get access to up to a whopping one million uh, tokens in context window for Gemini 1.5, and technically in research they have up to 10 million context window support, which is incredible. And uh, I just want to come back and say that after this week, we've seen many folks, including Matt Schumer, who was here on stage, including a bunch of other folks, getting access to this 1 million tokens. I didn't get access yet. So when at Google, somebody hears me, please give me access. And folks are throwing books, like full, like three, three Harry Potter books on it and getting incredible stuff. Many folks are using it for video, which is also quite remarkable. Uploading an hour of video and getting retrieval from the from video from within 1.5, like 1 million context uh, window. It's, I wanted to follow up and say, you know, the safety folks at Google need to take a little break, but the tech folks at Google, holy crap, like the 1 million context was severely underhyped after Sora release from OpenAI, like two hours after, we had also breaking news, and Sora is still blowing minds, and we're going to talk about Sora just briefly. But the 1 million context window gets more uh, folks playing with it, and it's incredible for code generation. People threw the whole code base of 3.js 3 in there. People threw just like whole code bases in one prompt, and we were talking about this a little bit with, with the Grog guys as well, where this unlocks new possibilities, and significant new possibilities that weren't imagined before and we don't have time for this debate today and maybe we'll have to close the space a little early and i'll tell you why in a second but i just wanted to highlight that there's some stuff that google did google is like this huge company like full of multiple people the safety stuff meh like we're, we're gonna rally against this we're gonna tell them that they're wrong and hopefully we'll get like less less restricted models but the context stuff, oh my God, this is like incredible. Definitely set the new bar for how models should behave and what the possible things are. 10 hours of audio, you can send in one context 10 hours of audio and it will be able to tell you exactly when somebody said what and summarize everything with, with like perfect recall. We had Greg Combrand that we've talked about, friend of the pod as well. He did this needle in haystack analysis on, on a bunch of context windows, if you remember, on Claude, etc. And they used these needle in the haystack analysis to analyze and say that the models that also have 
very high recall precision, like almost perfect recall precision throughout this whole context, throughout the, the whole like 600,000 tokens or so. And we had folks test this week. Quite incredible advancement there. And Anthropic, who are who did cloud for us with 100,000 tokens for a long time, this was their moat. Then there is 200,000 tokens. It seems it's paling in comparison. I did my comparisons from last year. If you guys remember, during May, Mosaic released the jump into 70,000 tokens or so. And back then, that looked incredible. They threw, they put an actual book in there. And I just compared that less than a year, we, we've gotten like a 10x jump into what we consider like normal context windows or possible context windows. Because like less than a year ago, the big jump was to 60,000. And now we're jumping to a million and it's actually possible to use a million. So incredible, incredibly important for multimodality as well because videos take just so much content. I think... One hour video of this Buster Kitten, I think, is the, is the video that they've used in the example, takes around 600,000 tokens. Just think about this. Like one, one hour video takes around 600,000 tokens. And it's able to tell you exact precision of where something happened in this video, what happened, who spoke about what. Very incredible, definitely underhyped. I think Sora took, I think collectively on X, we're able to talk about one important thing. And Sora definitely took that one important thing. But coming back to Gemini 1.5 with a huge context is very impressive from Google as well. Anybody here on stage got access to 1.5 and actually played with this? I haven't yet. I'm just rec recapping from the feed. Nope. Everybody's sad. Google, if you hear us, give us access. Nissan? Yeah, I will bite my finger off like a graham cracker to get access to that model. Yes, exactly. All right. So moving. Yeah, Nissan, go ahead and then we'll move on. No, I just wanted to mention some other news that uh, Robofloskowski just released the yellow V9 model. I made some demo with it, with the sail balls and the boxing and stuff. And this is pretty, it's pretty nuts. It's like the next, the next gen stuff, but they've also released a paper, I think, or some research, which I haven't read yet. And I'm incredibly excited, but yeah, this is completely, this is not as much LLM related, but it is open source. Vision AI stuff, and I really recommend people to to look at it because it's like straight up from the future. Like I I tried YOLO V8, and you all can see the the results and stuff on video and stuff you can do, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, could you add this to the uh, space, and we'll add the show notes as well. I will, I will just highlight that Peter. Uh, Skalski, Skalski P is a friend of the pod, a dear co-host, uh, and Roboflow are doing incredible vision stuff and definitely worth a shout out every time they release something new. And some of his tutorials on Twitter are amazing. If you're into vision understanding, uh, Peter is the guy to follow and uh, shout out for, for, for the stuff that they're building there. I think we're going to move on from the big companies and LMs. We've talked about pretty much everything. Open source, the last thing that we wanted to mention, I think the last thing that I wanted to mention is News Research released News Hermes on DPO. And basically, it's the same model, just trained on DPO data set. And that beats the previous news research, the news Hermes, Open Hermes 2.5, I think, pretty much on every benchmark. And that's been great to see that DPO is putting itself in, in, in the right position of improving models. I think we've seen this from Argia folks who clean data sets and actually retrained Hermes models. I think we've seen this. And now we're getting a DPO headset from new folks themselves, which is great to see. And Jan, I think you had some comments about how to actually do this DPO thing in, in, in comments to Technium. So more of that goodness is coming and open source does not wait. And I can't wait to see all these techniques also apply to 
to the different Gemma stuff that we got and different other, let's say, rumored wink from meta stuff that at some point are going to come and we're going to get hopefully the number three. Which, if they release today, I'm not going to be mad, honestly. Mark, if you're listening to this. Yeah, let's, let's close it early. Otherwise, yeah. we'll be here tomorrow. That's true. We're going to close it early because of this next thing that I want to talk about. And I actually want to cover this a little bit. So I'm going to put some music and then we're going to talk about this. Oh, my God. I got lost in my music stuff. And we're going to talk about this week's buzz. I see that folks are enjoying me mistakenly hitting different musical buttons folks welcome to this week's buzz this is a corner here a section here that i talk about everything that i've learned working for weights and biases and some of this is technical some of this is just the stuff that we release on courses and we released a course with hamal hussein about enterprise model management so if you're into this that course is great it's doing so good so many people are registering I haven't had actually time to see it. I should probably see this soon, maybe tomorrow, because I'm preparing Thursday Eye and working on demos with Grok and everything. But I have definitely wanted to chat about the reason I was in San Francisco for this last weekend. So as we were finishing up Thursday Eye last week, I think I said, Swix was here. I was recording it live from San Francisco. And that day on Thursday, we had a meetup that I helped co-host. And I wasn't the only one there. A16Z, Andreessen Horowitz, the biggest VC firm in the world. With, with If you don't follow Mark Andreessen on X, you definitely should. He's a big proponent of open source. He's been talking about all these kind of very interesting things. A shout out Mark Andreessen. He wasn't there. I definitely expect to see him next time. But folks, Reiko and Marco Moscoro from A16Z, the guys who give out grants to open source, and you know that many of our friends of the pod are like grant receivers from A6NZ. The bloke received the grant. News researcher grant receivers. I think uh, um, Axolotl, uh, Wing is from Axolotl, is also a grant receiver. Like a bunch of folks uh, are getting supported by A16NZ. And they had a meetup for open source AI. And I was very proud to be invited and to be a co-host and gave out a bunch of weights and biases swag. And... Just in terms of names who went, it was mind-blowing. We had news research folks, so Technium was there, and, and Imozilla was there, Koran, Shavani, like all the news folks are definitely big help organizers. Olama folks were there, announced that they're now supporting Windows. Llama Index, we met with Jerry. LMCs folks, which I, I really wanted to meet and talk to them, and maybe bring them on, on Thursday, but I didn't get a chance to. So if anybody knows the LMCs folks... Please shout, shoot me a DM with them as well. Replicate, who are doing great stuff, Perplexity, Mistral, there was a Devendra, I think, from Mistral was there as well. And there's also a bunch of friends of the path who also received grants. If you guys remember, we had a deep dive with John Durbin from the Bagel model fame, and he just re recently started releasing a bunch of other stuff. Eric Hartford, who released, I think, Laser, and now he works at, at Abacus. Houtian Lu from, from Lava and just a bunch of great folks in the open source community got together in San Francisco and talked to each other about techniques, about how important open source is. And they had a panel with like folks from Mozilla and the Linux Foundation and uh, Percy from uh, Together AI as well. That panel talked about the importance of open source. What is open source actually? How do we treat open source in AI? What, what is, is weights fully? Is, is that enough? Or is something like Olmo that we've talked about from Allen Institute of AI, is that like full open source when they release the training code and data sets and weights and biases logs and all these things? And so there was a great discussion about what open source actually means in the fully like new AI world. Incredible to meet all these folks. Just shout out to Reiko and, and Marco for organizing this and inviting us. And I promised a report, and this is the report. And definitely, I will add to the show notes the summary that Reiko did, because they also did a report on open source stuff. 
And it's worth looking into this, uh, how much, how many folks downloading the blog. <laughs> so many folks download, and this time maybe you saw this LDJ as well. So many folks download the blog's models. Then when the blog, like, I think disappeared for three days or something, people's like, is he okay? There's no new GGFs on Hagen Face. What happened? Is he all right? So many people got used to this. The blog is also a receiver of the A16Z grant. And so that's what I learned in Weights and Biases this week. I also visited the office. Those of you who followed me probably seen my ridiculous video that I showed around the office showing Weights and Biases dashboards in, in virtual space. And I really had a great time there. We also met with Swix and some of the, his folk in the Swix small house. So shout out Swix and Alessio from Latent Space Pod for, first of all, hosting me. Second of all, being great friend, friends of the pod. The, honestly, Thursday I would not exist as a podcast and a newsletter without Swix and Alessio. And also they're coming up on their one year anniversary for Latent Space. So if I can send them love and, and subscribers, please go check out Latent Space as well. Happy birthday, folks. And I think we're going to move on to two new things. And then we're just going to do a recap in the AI art and diffusion area. And I think for this, I do have a transition. Let's see. No, I have a transition for this. Yes. AI art, diffusion models, text to video and images, and everything in between. Only on Thursday, I. And alignment just dropped. I wanted to, to, to hear what he was actually saying, but he had issues with space even before. But we did have a transition. And folks, this week is big. This week is big. You, you guys know that we only talk about uh, AI art and diffusion when it's huge. And this, this week was huge. Starting off this week, ByteDance released SDXL Lightning, which takes SDXL that we've talked about, one of the best open source diffusion models, and then makes it incredible in just one step. So if you ever used uh, stable diffusion, if you ever ran it yourself, the, the sweet spot is somewhere between 35 and 50 steps, the, the, depending on which which of the, I, I forgot what it's called, the tokenizer? No, something, depends on what, what you use there, between 35 and, and 50 steps. And then we obviously had some advancements before. We've seen SDXL Turbo and SDXL Lightning generates incredible images in just one or two steps. Just incredible. It's unbelievable how fast this is. And of course, our folks, friends of the pod as well from File AI are putting this in production and you can play with their demo. The demo is called, I'm going to put this in show notes, fastsdxl.ai. And the demo is near real time. You type and you generate images. You type and they generate images. And it's not the LCM stuff that we've talked about. If you guys remember the late consistency model, that's something else. This is a full SDXL generation running in two or four steps and looks incredible. Like 1024 resolution, text to image generation, ByteDance optimized the crap out of this Excel. And it's really mind blowing. I really suggest you go and try to play with fast SDXL.ai and I played with this yesterday, and the what I wanted to do with this is I wanted to, and it's added to the show notes as well, I wanted to see what's possible when we have an LLM that's near instant. So we've had the chat today with the Grok folks, and you can hear, if you're just joining us now, you can hear the chat after I publish the episode. And their LLM is like 500 tokens a second, so basically answers appearing in near instant time. But also SDXL Lightning is... SDXL diffusion appears in near instant time. And I played with a demo of this and I'm going to add the video also to the show notes as well. And I was just blown away how 
responsive things feel. And so the demo that I built was using uh, Neil Agrawal's, uh, it's called uh, Infinite Fun or something, game where you just draw concepts on top of each other and he uses AI to generate what those two concepts mean, basically. Neil, uh, in this Infinite Fun thing, he used emojis. So if you combine earth and, I don't know, fire or something, you get volcano. So he has the emoji of volcano, right? So he has an AI that picks up the best emoji for this one thing. And I said, hey, emoji is fun, but what if we generate like a full-on SDXL image on every turn that I play this game? And I did this with, with Grok. I used Mixtral behind the scenes to generate, to be the prompt engineer, to take these concepts and actually write a nice prompt for SDXL. And with two steps or four steps, overall, from dragging this to getting Mixtral to be my prompt engineer, and my initial, my initial system message is around 1,000 tokens. Right, so I'm sending a thousand tokens or so, probably maybe less than a thousand, maybe five hundred, and I get an instant answer from Grok because the speed is ridiculous. I then send this to Fal to their API to do SDXL Lightning, and I get an image it's super fast. Like it's also ridiculous. It's I think overall for some incredible examples, I got less than three hundred milliseconds response from going to an LLM, generating a prompt for me, taking this prompt, sending it to an image image thing, and getting back under 300 milliseconds. I rem will remind you that folks from Google a long time ago did a research study where everything under 250 milliseconds to humans is almost real-time imperceptible on clicks and reactions. And now we're getting multiple models in kind of a pipeline together reacting under 300 milliseconds. And it's incredible. And honestly, I, can release, I cannot release this demo because I didn't build the UI, so I cannot you know, give you the UI. However, I can probably send you the extension code if you want to, and you have your own API keys for Grok. I was blown away how easy and fast this was. And just two of these the same week, two of the speed investments. So SDXL Lightning, two steps for like incredible image generation, and then Grok as well. So this is an answer to folks who are saying, why do we even need the speed? I saw somebody say, hey, why do you even need 400 tokens a second? People cannot read in fast enough. And this is the answer for this, because interfaces can happen in near real time, and it's incredible. And the second big thing in AI art and diffusion happened as breaking news. So we're going we're gonna to do this. AI breaking news coming at you only on Thursday I. Folks, we have breaking news. And LDJ, you've been saying about today, or I guess for a while now, Imad from Stability AI, Imad Mustak from Stability, announces Stable Diffusion 3. Stable Diffusion 3 uses a new architecture that we've talked about first with Tanishk and, and folks from the HDIT, Howard Glass Diffusion Transformers, and also from Sora, a diffusion transformer architecture where they take the both worlds from this last gen of, of gen AI and combining them together. And Stable Diffusion 3 is going to be a diffusion transformer. And it's impressive. In, so we only got a wait list. So unlike previously, where Stable Diffusion just dropped, now it's a wait list that you have to sign up for. But shout out to folks at Stability because it looks incredible. It has a very impressive. So some examples you can check out in the newsletter that I'm going to send. Some examples are under the hashtag SD3 uh, on, on X. It has a very impressive multi-subject prompt following. So I can show you an example of this later in, in show notes. But a prompt like painting of an astronaut, riding a pig, 
wearing a tutu, holding a pink umbrella. On the ground next to the pig is a robin bird wearing a top hat. In the corner, there are words, stable diffusion. And this image is perfect. All of the subjects and the different things that I told you are existing in this picture. And the robin bird is on the ground, has a top hat, and the astronaut is, is holding an umbrella, but the pig is wearing a tutu. So understand the text is perfect. And understanding of multiple subjects, I think, is something that we've seen great in DALI, for example, but previous versions of stable diffusion were not nearly as good at multi-prompt, multi-subject, multi and multi-colors, for example. And this nails all of them. The umbrella is the right color, the, the tutu is the right color, the bird, everything. And it looks just really awesome. And I got to wonder if something like this, with the speed of the previous announcement of SDXL, could could mean and so they're they're advancing very fast as well and it's great to see breaking new shout out to stability for uh announcing this they didn't release this yet they and they announced the stable diffusion 3 it's coming to us very soon and it looks awesome and i think unless folks here on stage wanted to touch to chat about some other stuff that we haven't covered yet this is everything we've talked about on Thursday. I, outside of that, we had our returning hosts and co-hosts and speakers on the panel. So I want to thank Nisten. I want to thank Yam. Uh, LDJ was here. Jun Yang from Kuen and a bunch of other folks. I want to uh, shout out Matt Schumer again and and Mark Heaps from Grok for joining and telling us all about this. And if that if you missed any part of this conversation, definitely feel free to check us out. With that, I want to say thank you. Uh, for joining Thursday I, as always I think we're coming up to almost exactly two hours and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go and then we'll see what else gets released on this crazy AI Thursday thank you everyone <laughs>